Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman. Today, I'm joined by one of the leading thinkers in the commodities sector, Roland Rechsteiner, Global Head of Oil and Gas, Mining and Chemicals at Oliver Wyman. Roland joins us to talk about energy transition, what it is and what the impacts are on the commodities sector. In this first part, we focus on the commodity traders themselves and what energy transition means for them and the opportunities it provides. In the second part, next week, we look at the producers and also operating models and the impact on talent. Roland, thanks, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Paul, for having me. You have a unique position in the commodity markets, working with participants all over the world, right across the commodities suite, working with them on their business plans, working with them on, on, on anticipating just these kind of uh, big challenges that face the market. Can you perhaps orientate us as to what are the, the current challenges and themes you see in the commodities sector and why energy transition is perhaps the overriding force facing organizations? So for many years, we actually see four main challenges um, in the commodity trading markets, which is, first of all, a quest for scale, where it's about increasing volumes, about consolidation in the markets in order to get uh, um, economies of scale. I think, secondly, it's about digitization, certainly digitization in terms of efficiency in mid and back office, but even more about predictive analytics to support front office decision making through better insights into markets, which has really taken off in the last two, three years. Thirdly, it's about customer centricity, which is all about being close to the customer, understanding customers and offering customers different ways to participate, be that through bot breaking applications, be that through um, any type of um, services, or be it, last but not least, to, for the traders to participate themselves through different type of um, um, participation models in the downstream markets. And fourthly, it is all about, uh, it's all about cost and operating model. So operating model discussions are extremely important and have shown that there's huge amounts of efficiency and effectiveness gains through streamlining operating models. And that is something which is on everybody's agenda these days. Now, on top of this, we have short-term challenges like COVID-19 that has massively disrupted, obviously, markets. We have geopolitical tensions. In a way, we didn't have them for quite a long time. And last but not least, we have have, um, oversupply in most of uh, commodity markets. And all that together is currently impacting significantly market structures and therefore driving also massively volatility. However, the biggest change is actually the energy transition. While some of the changes I just discussed are rather kind of smaller pieces of change or shorter term issues, when you think about energy transition, it has a massive impact. It's in the long term where a big wave is coming, which will redefine customers. It will redefine products that we will be trading and it will ultimately redefine business models as well. And that transition is actually offering a lot of opportunities for commodity traders to participate right now, but also in the future. Mm. Could you put some definitions around what energy transition is? What is it a transition to? I'm sure it also means different things to different organizations. Can you help us understand exactly what that term encompasses? Yeah, absolutely. I will try my best. Obviously, I'm, I'm assuming everybody's got a different <laughs> definition. Yeah. But from my perspective, the way we look at it is basically 
the energy transition is a journey um, from today's situation to actually a situation where along different elements, markets will look significantly different. And that will encompass, for instance, that commodities, certain commodities will be replaced over time. We have seen that already with coal. We see that increasingly with other products, be it fuel oil, be it um, even um, gas in certain markets. And we have on the other side, we have new commodities come up. Um, if you think about um, a lot of the battery components that have taken up quite significantly and are even coming up more. We, we see this across four different elements. First of all, we see a trend towards higher return carbons, which means on the one side, um, higher financial returns, but on the other side, also higher sustainability returns. And that is obviously possible because we have the situation where there is obviously more carbon available, carbon um, uh, uh, commodities available that we might actually need. I think secondly, we have a trend from obviously molecules to electrons. You've seen the large majors already announced that they want to become the biggest power firms and power traders in the world. And I think that is a trend that will go on. Thirdly, we will have, during that process, we will have transition fuels. And that means that, for instance, when you look at gas and LNG, which is right now, which is right now obviously still growing, um, however, in the long-term energy mix, you could question whether the carbon uh, emissions are too high and therefore will be replaced one day. But over the next 20, 30 years, gas will play a massive role in that energy transition away from oil. Uh, so that is another great opportunity. And later on, that might move on to hydrogen and other areas. And fourthly, it's about renewables in general. So be that solar, be that wind, be that biofuels, etc. We see a massive surge of that, and that will basically even accelerate itself going forward, which will then ultimately over the next 30, 40, 50 years significantly support the transition from a carbon energy dominated world to a less or even carbon free world. From what you're saying, it is also going to affect all of the commodity, I guess, value chains, whether that's metals, energy, or ags. You know, you've got uh, each one of those is going to have some some impact from um, energy transition, which just sounds wholesale. It's such an enormous change from the state we are at least now. Are we are we just getting started? Are we already you know way into this? What sort of the I guess can you orientate us as towards timelines and 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 what this period of transition will be? A few years ago, the whole discussion around energy transition was still about will it really happen? Will companies be serious about it, or is it more kind of a bit of a greenwashing happening or a discussion happening? But today we, we can clearly see that trend, or that train left the station and it's definitely going to happen. And it's already happening. As I said earlier, you look at coal, coal is being replaced in most parts of the world already today. And you know that um, we have certainly way more coal production than uh, demand probably over the next years. I think on top of this, on top of this, you, um, when you think about the different sectors, I think it's quite interesting because uh, it, it obviously the whole discussion starts about energy because obviously one of the largest uh, um, uh, carbon producer and you have the discussion, you know, from fuel oil to LNG or from in general from oil to gas products. 
But when you then go, when you go into other markets, for instance, into mining and metals, the energy transition started there already quite some time ago. Again, coming back to coal, but then the whole discussion around, you know, iron ore or steel production technologies. Think about the mining of all type of ingredients for battery components, um, which created new markets. And when you think in agricultural, there's a big debate around emissions from meat production. There's a big debate around, about, obviously, around palm oil and a lot of other commodities. So it's really affecting that type of transition, which is not only an energy transition, it's really kind of a focus on sustainability going forward, which is kind of driving all type of uh, commodities. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing it everywhere, you know, working with clients, working on plant-based protein, as you, you, know, as you mentioned, um, but also, you know, rare earths into batteries, which I guess provides... I guess two things. Firstly, this isn't something the other commodities can ignore. This isn't just an energy-only um, trend, but also it's one of opportunity for everyone. As with all of these trends, you've got accelerators and decelerators. What things are out there are driving this change? Is this is this government-led? Is this people? Is this populist-led? What what's what's accelerating this um, energy transition right now? So I think the, the key driver for the energy transition, I think for the first movers was really around purely the business opportunity. So when you're, when you're selling energy ingredients or energy commodities to, to a customer, you're realizing that, you, that the market is um, basically being replaced by other commodities. That is when you start thinking about, should I move from supplying coal to also supplying LNG as an example? Um, on the other side, there were quite a lot of opportunities around in the renewables markets, for sure, um, as well as in other markets. Um, you, had, you had, for sure, on the power side, you had a lot um, already over the last 10 years happening with wind farms, et cetera, specifically in Europe. But in general, there's a business opportunity there that was, um, that was driving over the last years um, the development there. And the same with rare earths for battery, as you mentioned before, Paul. I think what you then saw happening over the last few years was actually a, an additional pressure coming in from, not necessarily from regulators only, but from society. So on the one side, you had increasingly the largest funds in the world saying they will no more invest in carbon-heavy um, um, industries. And that is obviously big pressure. On the industry because that has implications on on funding but also has implications on in the end on stock price um, given reduced um, uh, available capital into these markets so that started a significant pressure and then you had secondly you had um, the debt holders increasingly um, arguing against um, carbon intensive industries and if you think about shareholders and debt holders, so both equity and debt becoming more difficult to obtain, you start thinking about you know, how you deal with your business. And specifically in businesses, when you are in physical assets where it takes a long time to actually move such a tanker, then it becomes something you've got to take very quickly serious. Um, but what I found really interesting is also that I think over the last few years, you had additional societal pressure coming in actually from the inside. So on the one side, employees are asking specifically the younger generation 
with all rights asking increasingly around how can we get the business model cleaner? How can we um, avoid more pollution? And that is having a significant impact on businesses because in the end, all businesses need to get the best talent to be competitive. And an interesting one is what I saw as well, Paul, is that um, quite a few of my clients, which are family-owned businesses, you, you know, my clients would tell me that their kids, which are maybe young teenagers, are suddenly asking them questions around why they have a business that is um, polluting um, Mother Earth. And I think those are, those are all drivers that significantly change things. And then obviously you've got increasingly... Um, regulation coming in obviously there's ESG conversations there's any kind of other regulations obviously um, and that's um, all driving I think in the end change now and accelerating it massively. So the yeah the producer scale you've got these huge projects which require 10-20 year levels of return and you've got a you know investor community that's increasingly worried about these issues and actually the underlying value of the assets you know that was a trend pre-COVID COVID strikes, and it seems like the whole thing has been accelerated in terms of you know the, the capital market's willingness to support organizations that aren't embracing energy transition. We've all seen that over the last few weeks with all the reports that were coming out from different investors or banks around kind of how they want or don't want to support um, carbon-intensive industries going forward. I think this is all certainly also driven by the heightened sensitivity. I think that we all developed a bit over the last few months around um, our surroundings, given by what we went through and parts of the world are still going through. But I think in different parts of the world, COVID also has a different implication because, you know, like in Europe and certainly even in North America, um, enlisted companies, those who actually feel the pressure from, um, from the investors, but when you think about other parts of the world, and here I'm thinking about countries like India or Indonesia, there's a big questions around where they will invest over the next uh, um, years in terms of energy or in terms of um, any type of commodity plays. And that is specifically driven that the if you look at the employment return that you get on every dollar spent on carbon, it's much higher than when you spend it on renewables. And the and obviously it's all about creating employment now, also in some of these regions, or actually utilizing um, resources that are in the country. And therefore, there's certainly currently debate ongoing that could lead to a slowdown of some of the energy transition in parts of the world. But for sure, in Europe, definitely, and probably also in North America, we will see an acceleration through the different. On the developing world side, one of the things that's, I guess, fascinating me is that actually some of these technologies are so um, you know, much more simple than obviously building a large, you know, refinery. Um, you know, there's, the thing that sticks with me always is that there's no moving parts in solar. And much like uh, cell phone technology, you might actually, again, see this acceleration of kind of just leapfrogging perhaps the more traditional progression that uh, Western economies have made through the transition year to date? I think solar is a very good example. Um, when you look at solar stocks, how these developed over the last nine months, it's amazing. They had only a very small shock from uh, COVID, and now they outperform pretty much every other asset class. And, it's, and, and this has been quite impressive. 
quite impressive. And of course, and that is of course driven by the fact that obviously a lot of the future investment also needs to go into these areas and the and uh, specifically, you can build it much quicker. And as you say, it's much less complex because in the end, you can buy it in a turnkey stage and then just operate it. And I think that's kind of something that we will see significantly. I think one one key for that also, Paul, is I think when you when you think about the, the stimulus packages around the world right now that are being constructed specifically, take Europe as an example, because I think it's a really an extreme example. I mean, all the financial support that goes into any of the uh, of the industry sectors is somehow linked to sustainability objectives. Whether this is aviation, whether this is automotive, everywhere. And I think that is further even accelerating, um, you know, investments into these type of technologies because obviously they can much better benefit from all kind of um, financial support as well because obviously it's absolutely carbon zero. Stepping back. You've got this process, if I understand right, effectively started because of you know customer demands that businesses have been meeting. You've got, um, I guess, a an acceleration going on, supported by government regulation, stimulus, you know, in part as well caused by COVID. That might have some different imbalances around the world, but it feels like this is you know an ever increasing trend that. You know, it, it, as you say, the question is not if, it's now when, and we're probably actually, you know, a good way already into it, um, you know, and, and it's really just a matter of time and, and how organizations will then respond to it. You know, if, if we break down the commodities sector, I, I know this is very simplistic, but into essentially producers, consumers, and then the, the merchants, the trading merchants. How so? Just looking looking at the trading community, which I know you work with around the world, um, has been a major focus of, of you and your teams over the last you know, few years. How are they impacted, and what are the opportunities that they that they have? You know, as you talk about this um, uh, move to higher return carbons, the, the transition from molecules to electrons, this whole. Uh, passageway of transition fuels and it, not to labor the question but it's fascinating in that this is one of those events where we kind of know the answer we know the outcome it's just we don't know how long it's going to take to get there and exactly why by what path it will take to get there so well uncertainty drives volatility and that is supporting market structures that are positive for traders if you for instance look at the market developments um, in the commodity trading markets from 2018 to 19, we had around a 20% increase of global gross margin across all commodities in the commodity trading space. And that was predominantly driven by oil, LNG and power and gas Europe. Um, in 2020, um, even across these markets, we already see pretty positive developments in the first half of the year as well. And so in general, I think all change will drive volatility, and that is something where traders can participate. I think secondly, what's always important to, to remember, traders in general have less of an asset base. Of course, all the large traders today um, own assets along the value chain, but compared to the volume they trade, it's still much less than what a oil major or a mining company would have. And therefore, for them, it is much easier to switch and to move forward. And most importantly, 
as they see themselves as the intermediary, as the logistics provider, um, they actually operate in the markets where there is demand. So when you think about, look at the oil traders over the last years, all of them actually did build up LNG businesses, are now building up pipe gas businesses, are building up power trading businesses, because that is actually the, the basically the natural evolution of this business. And it's, it is easier for them just to participate in this markets because they can use, traders can use the understanding and the platform of these markets to participate in. When you then think about the next step is it's also that even in it's always about the portfolio of the asset. So it's not only about moving from one commodity to, to another commodity along the energy transition, because there's always demand also for, I would say, products that will have a decreasing demand going forward. But you can still continue to participate in those. And I think there's good opportunities there because there's even good opportunities right now to pick up assets. If you think about some of the latest deals that we have seen where, where um, upstream assets went, uh, um, you know, changed owner or maybe 15% of the original um, price they had a few years ago. So I think there's a lot of opportunity out there if you want to pick up either distressed assets or assets in areas where um, players don't want to participate. And then on the other side, you can also, obviously, as trader, very well participate in these new markets um, and help kind of create these markets. So we have a lot of markets out there, commodities that have been really illiquid, pure B2B marketing commodities that became increasingly semi-liquid over the last years. And you see first derivative markets uh, that give you opportunities to participate in these markets, not only physically, but also financially to offer risk management products to your customers to be actually able to shape and develop markets. Think about what happened to the iron ore market. Think about kind of the steel market now, the biodiesel ingredients, the secondary markets for battery and so on. So there's quite a lot of opportunities out there. And I think this is actually something where um, this change is creating massive opportunity to, to trade in existing markets, but to actually also move into new opportunities. I guess a, a number of comments there. One would be just going back to the talent, which is obviously the the key to any trading house. They are also going to have to reposition somewhat as they go on that journey to become more attractive to younger generations, to the, to the latest graduates, pointing out their um, their green credentials, if you'd like. Absolutely, I think. You know, I think it's multiple effects which are important for talent strategies for commodity traders these days. I think one is exactly as you say, Paul, it's to have a story around the energy transition, how you participate in it and offer opportunities for young talent to participate in it. Because there's a genuine demand by very intelligent and capable young people to actually participate in that energy transition in participating in sustainability developments. I think another element is actually also around the capability and who you're competing with, because increasingly you need data scientists, you need very, very um, quantitative analytical capabilities, um, including um, being able to code machine learning algorithms and so on. And that is something that the future traders will have to bring to a certain extent. And for that talent pool, you're actually competing 
not only with your with your normal um, peers and um, some of the other participants, but you're actually competing here with the Googles and the Amazons of this world. Well, with with every organization, right? Every everyone is going through the same digitization transition, you know, and, and and that talent has their pick of which type of organization they want to work with. No, no, exactly, exactly, and and I think. And, and I, I truly believe there's a, there's a very good story there for commodity trading organizations. But I think it's very important to actually understand exactly what this kind of talent pool is really looking for and then creating the, the opportunity and creating the atmosphere for them to strive for this. The other interesting trend, I guess, that we've seen at the margin so far is, is also kind of... Um a trend to brand commodities in terms of their origin so kind of essentially fair trade coffee type scenario but with whether it's cobalt or whether it's with grains there is an opportunity there as well it seems or feels for you, know, you have a if you have a more discriminating customer you know, they are going to start thinking about the origin of their rare earth metal or, or whichever commodity it might be is, is that a trend trading houses could capture as well to a certain Extent and you know in Switzerland we've been um, for many years blessed with a large amount of uh, non-profit organizations that are supporting a conversation around how can you know how can for instance the whole commodity sector be more um, more sustainable and I think um, whilst certainly you know sometimes the demands might be quite extreme and maybe not practical in uh, business life. On the other side, you know, on the other end, and, and they basically, they also see that. They see it that there's areas where, you know, when, if you participate in certain spot markets and so on, that it's going to be difficult to kind of control the value chain. But for sure, we will, um, we will see increasingly also kind of that demand from the customer. And you have it already today in certain areas. Um, and we'll see that also going forward. And that will certainly then, um, probably drive kind of at least at least kind of two streams if not kind of change the the entire activity set but i have to say i think transparency today specifically with the large players is already very high and therefore i think um that journey is well underway so you've got actually they're, they're relatively well positioned um you you know they, they're obviously familiar with seeking down opportunity um you know they are at the forefront of creating markets for these new commodities that come online as a result of energy transition. Um, you know, they're certainly more nimble in terms of switching. And and I think we'll come on to it in terms of operating model. There's more and more for these organizations to take advantage on from lowering their costs, changing how they, they're, they're operating to primarily reduce, I guess, the number of individuals needed to do it. Before we move on from them, there, you know, actually the last decade has been characterized by trading houses building pretty significant asset platforms, you know, the kind of the mini major type um, setup, will those be significant anchors to these, to the established large trading houses? Uh, will, will, will the smaller, newer, um, less uh, physical organizations be better positioned? So my personal view is um, it depends a little bit on the business model, but in general, the physical access is very important because, um, you know, as we discussed earlier, Paul, the energy transition is not happening from today to tomorrow. And in the end, understanding the flows, being able to 
not only have proprietary information, but also have proprietary flows. I think it's going to be really important. It's going to continue to be important. Um, if you just participate in financial markets or just uh, through, um, you know, short-term um, contracts or maybe even long-term contracts, it will be difficult in any commodity to really be successful. And you always have to ask yourself, what is what is basically your differentiator in that market? Why would you win? Why would you be smarter at the table than somebody else? On the flip side, what you certainly see is if you understand certain markets well, you can start building a trading platform where you basically use the knowledge into certain markets, but then have a purely analytical trading activity going on. And these kind of, you know, spread books or um, quant trading books is something that we've, that we see across a large amount of traders increasingly um, yielding very, very, very stable and significant um, cross margin to the overall business. So in the end, I think, you know, I think it's a bit of, it's a bit of both and it depends very much on, um, you know, on, uh, on what is the play you want to do in the market, but certainly the large, the large, uh, cross margin plays from my perspective, will always require a certain um, asset activity. Oh, and we're definitely seeing that melding and have discussed before on the podcast, that melding of quantitative with the, you know, experienced fundamentals trader, you know, really being quite a powerhouse, um, at least, you know, more recently in terms of um, performance. Um, yeah, so, so I guess in, in summary, the same model will apply, which is how can you gain access to proprietary information? How can you control flows? Um, as that's where the margin is, and that will still necessitate the, those assets. Um, and I guess in some ways, as you say, this is also not an overnight thing. This is a, over the next decade, and there's still plenty of opportunity, I think as you alluded to, you know, as, as the old markets go through increased volatility, but will still require serving um, to, 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 to make money there as well. So this isn't sort of abandoning the old, this is adding on the new. Um, I guess there's just a, you know a, a bit of interest. What do you think are going to be the surprising new commodities of the next decade? Are there any sort of I don't know whether it's hydrogen or whatever it might be. What, what are the sort of your top one or one one or three commodities you think that we're going to be talking a lot more about in the decades compared to what we are today? Yeah, I think it's a good question, Paul. I mean, you you answered it uh, partially. I think um, hydrogen. For sure, it's going to have a significant impact. In our in the studies that we did um, to understand hydrogen better in the markets, you can certainly see that probably starting towards 2030, there's going to be significant value pools in there in different business models, and therefore, um, we certainly believe that that's going to be quite a significant market. Specifically, if you think about, you know, uh, about you know blue hydrogen or green hydrogen. Um, or now even the discussion is about to increase hydrogen. So I think there's there's quite a lot of uh, um, opportunity in that market. I think we will also see um, increasingly, I think, secondary markets becoming more important. So the whole topic of circular economy, um, we believe is going to have a much um, more important um, role going forward. That is certainly something which has to be still better understood. And I think that can be in different parts, whether this is around steel, whether it's around plastics, different parts can certainly play quite a major role. And then I, I, I believe that we will still see for, for a significant time, huge opportunities still in LPG. 
um, that market um, still has a I think a long way to go because it actually helps a lot to uh, to also develop regions where where you have less of uh, an opportunity um, with no commodities around. And then I think the last point I would make is, and again we discussed about it before, um, all the um, metals that are required to support the energy transition. I think those we will see quite significantly grow in the foreseeable future. Mm. And it's been, yeah, we've discussed it before on this show, the LNG, I find it fascinating as being a driver of unbundling of commoditization in the developing world as, you know, it plays a major role as being a, a transition fuel. Um, so I guess what I'd like to do is is leave it there and, and, and return in, in the second part to, I guess, carry on the discussion and focus in again on the energy producers and the impact on them and then carry on with, I think, what is also a huge topic is the sort of challenge and change to operating models and, and then also tie in talent as well. But really appreciate your time, Roland. It's been a fascinating discussion so far and you know, really look forward to returning in part two. Yeah, thanks very much, Paul. And I look very much forward to continue the dialogue. Thank you for listening to the HC Insider podcast. To find out more about HC, go to hcinsider.global, where there's more news and content focused on the commodities markets.